Harper back toward the mound. Urban's got it. Nobody's covering second base. I saw this right. Did Jeff Rancourt get this and throw it straight in the ground? Got a little stumble here. And that's the shortest throw you'll ever see. He just missed the cutoff, man. Look at the phone. It's off the hook. Look at us. Look, he's going to use the towel. This is a bad night. It's warming it up. When the uniforms turned powder blue, the edge dropped off, and the sweet smell of success turned sour. The Fanatic is hot dog shooting gun. That's, that's 98 miles an hour of compressed meat headed right at your noggin. Welcome to the Dirty Inning. Hello! Memorial Day weekend edition. Oh, I can't wait for Memorial Day. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's, everyone's, everyone's always saying, saying that. it. I am Justin Clue. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue of Baseball Prospectus. With me is Trevor Strunk. Hey, follow Justin. On Twitter at Hagelbon. And we do this show. We do the Dirty Inning. It is a show about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history. And here we are again. At the plate, ready to deliver another. Well, I guess we'd be on the mound if we. This metaphor got away from me immediately. Uh -oh, Here we are, God. another <laughs> episode uh, where we will do that thing I just described. It's funny because it would have been really cool if we decided to uh, just not make this about anything and do it like a Seinfeld thing and say this is a baseball podcast about nothing, and then we wouldn't, um, wouldn't have anything to that. talk about. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. are really into Seinfeld references in 2022. You know, Trev, I recently uh, was on the Philadelphia Sports Table podcast, uh -huh. where, where I believe I said in the episode that our uh, target demographic has essentially plateaued at this point. We are such a niche podcast. We yeah. probably reached everybody. We're That's <laughs> neat that they were asking about us. I feel like I feel like it, it, if anyone asks about the dirty ending, it's usually like you have a you guys do another podcast. It's like yeah, it's for the most depraved people in the world. <laughs> it's the best one. What? <laughs> what? It's our favorite. <laughs> Shut up. First of all, yes, you have to listen to me talk about my podcast. Secondly, yes, it's about something you can't possibly. <laughs> have any interest in whatsoever I, it would have been it would have been kind of amazing if we could have somehow made a more niche podcast like this is about it's about phillies players who also were farmers at one point in their lives like, <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the farm playing team. career farm yeah, oh, oh that's so good with a ph <laughs> well, damn. Well, we, we can still do it <laughs> we're not here to talk about rod barajas's career we're here to talk about <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, if you're not feeling good about Memorial Day weekend this year, uh, Phillies-wise, I got to tell you, as we're recording this, I just watched Garrett Stubbs get the Phillies within one run after being down 7 to nothing. Ah, there we go. Backup catcher Garrett Stubbs, who is recently surging through the rankings as far as my personal favorite Phillies go. Well, I, I heard I heard it's a short king summer, Trev. I feel it's like a short king summer. That's but right. Garrett, yeah. Garrett Stubbs is proving that. There was a Stubbs on on the Reds for a while. Drew Stubbs. Drew Stubbs. Yeah, I was like when I saw the, when I saw Stubbs's name in the box score, I was like, "Are we so down bad that we signed Drew Stubbs? <laughs> <laughs> Did we somehow convince Drew Stubbs to come back to baseball so we could sign him?" But I'm glad it's this. I'm glad it's this Garrett Stubbs guy. I think no, he's cool. No, 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 
the Phillies aren't even down bad. The Phillies are just floating in the middle somewhere, as they always are. They are a perfectly average 500 team that sometimes loses the worst game of baseball you've ever seen in your fucking life. That's the Philadelphia Phillies we know. Uh, also, they all believe that uh, there's there's a child trafficking problem. Right. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> don't, uh, don't forget that part. There's, there's also, you know, culture and stuff. But, <laughs> hey... Uh, I'm just saying, if you're feeling good about this team going into Memorial Day weekend, which probably you're not, but if Garrett Stubbs' home run made you feel a little better about them, don't worry. We're here to make sure you don't feel that great. Uh, Because (laughs) we have another story of a baseball game, the Phillies lost, and all of the events happening in Philadelphia at the time. Nice. And again, this is part of our ongoing series that was inspired by Sarah Lang's tweet where uh, it was it was after the game, the worst loss of the 2022 season, where the Phillies were up seven to nothing on the Mets, and the Mets came back and won eight to seven. Uh, that was that was that was the moment uh, I think I gave up on the season. I think I, that's I, fair. I hate to say that in in such like a clear way, and and you know I'm I'm obviously still following the Phillies, but um, I, I I decided that I wouldn't let the Phillies hurt me anymore at that point. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. And that, that, that moment gets earlier and earlier every season, I feel. That's, but that's right, yes. After that loss, Sarah Langs tweeted out, This is the fifth time in Philly's franchise history they've lost when leading by six or more runs in the ninth inning or later, along with four other instances, one in 1896, one in 1925, one in 1937, and one in 1994. And I felt like this was just a gift from the baseball heavens. Oh, 100%. Where not only did this happen enough times that we can make episodes out of all four of these occurrences, which I feel like is what the 2022 Phillies deserve, just to have other memories like the ones they've created get stirred up and talked about, uh, but also these take place in very different eras. We're going from the 1890s all the way to the 1990s, and, and like my favorites too. We get to talk yeah. about the eight. We get to talk about 1890s baseball, which I have to say is not something we can always justify doing because of the like insane lack of box scores oh yeah we end up just being like we end up just being like weird archaeologists like oh yeah like the uh the phillies uh who ostensibly existed in this time period um i I can't find any proof but we have to believe it's such yeah no it's it's always fun though because there's always like some um some baseball player that uh is named like you know chief wilson we're like why was his name chief and it's like he was native american we get to focus on that for a second (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or Billy Yonkers. He uh, played stickball and was spotted by John McGraw out in the streets one day while he was hanging some laundry from Unfortunately, one window to another. Had to go to the Phillies. Uh, <laughs> John McGraw yeah. hated stickball. Was not a fit whatsoever. <laughs> wow, you can't join the good team. Go join the bad one. Yet another disaster. But uh, but yeah, no, we we are going to, in this episode, talk about a Phillies game from August 17th, 1896, the first time in franchise history where they held a lead of six or more runs going into the ninth inning and still managed to lose. Now, I, I'm going to I'm gonna throw you a curveball here, Justin. I, oh, no. um, yeah, <laughs> whoo, swing and a miss. Uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I, um, I, we had, we got a request, I believe it was from, um, our, our, our fan and, and, and listener, Bikes and Bukes on Twitter, uh, mentioned that I had not done the atrocity corner in a long time. And so I decided I'd do that. So you want to hear, you want to hear what's happening in 1896, buddy? 
Uh, I I feel like if we're gonna set the table with atrocities, yeah, we might as well do it now. So before right. we get into our Phillies Orioles game that took place on August seventeenth, eighteen ninety six, Trev, lay it out. What kind of nightmares awaited us in the gaping maw of planet Earth in eighteen ninety six? Well, bad news as, uh, well, good news if you're Bryce Harper. Bad news from the atrocity corner? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Good news if you're Bryce Harper. Utah is admitted as the 45th U.S. state. Um, Also, in January of 1896, the X-ray is uh, is, uh, exhibited for the first time, uh, unfortunately causing probably a lot of cancer. Uh, In February, the Bramfontein explosion uh, happened where a train carrying 56 tons of dynamite exploded at Bramfontein, Johannesburg, killing more than 78 people. Uh, good news, Plessy Ver- Oh, I'm sorry. This is really bad news. <laughs> I was thinking of the one that, uh, I was thinking of the one that overturned this. Did the I say news. good news? Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the opposite. Plessy versus Ferguson was upheld, which upheld racial segregation. Again, not good. Uh, separate but equal. Uh, and, uh, in St. Louis, uh, there was the St. Louis and East St. Louis tornado, the costliest and deadly third deadliest, sorry, history in U.S. To- uh, tornado in U.S. history, uh, leveled a bunch of downtown St. Louis. Um, in August, where we're going to be uh, living right now, um, there was the uh, the the Philippine Revolution started, uh, which was the shortest war in recorded. Hi- oh, I'm sorry, this was another thing, another war that happened four days later. It was the shortest war in recorded history. The Anglo-Zanzibar War. It started at nine in the morning and lasted for forty-five minutes. Man, I've uh, I feel like I've been in meetings as long as that war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a little working guy humor there for you. <laughs> and uh, Willie McKinley was elected in November of eighteen ninety-six and uh, famously uh, shot to death in nineteen oh one. So I feel like that's also kind of bad news. Wow. Well, that you fiddle. You always fiddle a lot in that in that corner. You know. Yeah. Well, I have to to... because you're going to cut me off at some point and say, stop it with all the atrocities. So I have to get the good one. (laughs) Trev, enough (laughs) with the atrocities. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, at least. okay, that's good. That lays a solid foundation of what (laughs) violent mayhem and general wrongheadedness was happening on our planet. Yeah, at least this wasn't 78 tons of dynamite exploding. <laughs> Feels like it could have been that. That would have been way worse. Oh, yeah, this is a great way to make the Phillies games seem much less awful by <laughs> comparing them to deadly accidents. Yeah, on, on the show where we try to make the Phillies sound less awful, right? That's the point of the show? Oh, yeah, we're here. We're definitely we're definitely on, on the Phillies payroll. <laughs> yeah, they, they love it. Uh, all right, well, now that we know what exactly was going wrong on the planet at the time, what was going wrong with the Phillies, Trev? Well, let me just read you a little recap from the Philadelphia Times. Headline, jeers and hisses for those Phillies. <laughs> the fa- <laughs> 10,000, really? Nothing? Okay. 10,000. I said hoot, 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 hoot. <laughs> 10,000 disgusted patrons of the sport saw the local team throw away two games they had fairly won. The first was a heartbreaker, but the second outranked anything ever seen on local grounds. It was a sight long to be remembered, and those that left feeling the game was secure will be surprised at the result. The athletics are now in last place. <laughs> no. uh, throw, throw on that little little athletics bit as well. Um, I mean, look, yeah. you got to get you got to get your digs in somewhere, right? 
Uh, but yeah, things things weren't great, and uh, yeah, another little addition to this is that not only did the Phillies lose a game in such a historic fashion for their franchise, but they also lost twice in one day. Uh, the first time was Ugh. not does not fall into the category of being up by more than six or more runs in the ninth inning, but it's still a bad loss. Uh, we're <laughs> so we talk don't about, care. <laughs> we're going to talk about that in addition to our actual dirty inning loss. Uh, the 1896 Orioles were 65 and 29 coming into this twin bill. The Phillies were 43 and 51. A clear outlier in the mm. standings, pushing ahead of the pack at a wet little sub 500 disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> Why can't the Phillies ever be the other team in a situation like this, Trev? Well, if they were, then we'd be out of a jump. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Not raking in this cash. Hot, hot, hot off the presses. I love Trev. to imagine a bunch of people out there think we make a lot of money. I like to think that as well. Trev, and they'd be sp- right. What do you spend your dirty inning money on most? Boats or secret families? Uh, well, uh, I like to think of video games as secret families. So, yeah, mm. like that. Just all my that's all fair. my secret families that I have yeah, in my video that's totally games. Fair. Yeah, my, just my secret digital families that live in the television. <laughs> I just I get so worried that I'm not providing for them. People <laughs> like, tell me they're the not light. actually alive. <laughs> turns on the light in the den and you're just like, ah! Or you're like, <laughs> throw the controller at the TV so it breaks. But then you have a complete meltdown because that means your family in the, t- in the television is dead. Save them! Save them! <laughs> Don't you understand? <laughs> They're going to die in there. <laughs> uh, great stuff. In the ninth inning of game one of this doubleheader, the Orioles pitcher Bill Hoffer let off the inning with a base hit. Oh, al- okay. Already you're thinking, well, that's not right. Even with a lead this big, you've got to take care of the pitcher as the leadoff hitter in the ninth, right? Well, at this point, you it's think. just... It's just a laughable anomaly. <laughs> Look, everyone, a pitcher is on base. This is like when they slap bears until they dance in the traveling circus. It's <laughs> the cruelest possible. <laughs> it is like that. Justin's right. Folks, they put it in the notes and I have to read it. <clears throat> Joe Kelly, the le- <laughs> Joe Kelly, the left fielder for the Orioles, came next and with a mighty crack. There were two runners on base. Amazing that he was able to play into the uh, 21st century as a pitcher. <laughs> center fielder Willie Kiel- Keeler hit a fly ball that Philly center fielder Billy Hoolan sized up and appeared to have in the bag, but then stopped short of it and grabbed it on the bounce to the, ah. eye- to the eye-bulging confusion and rage of those watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Phillies moment right there. I feel like... I feel like everyone knows what that feels like when you watch a specifically Phillies player be like, I got this, but I'll play it on a hop. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, I better not catch it just to be safe. (laughs) Uh, Every one of these games has that moment where the seed of doubt sprouts a tiny leaf. And this was that. That's beautiful, Justin. Yeah. Uh, The reason for his action will never be known, read the Philadelphia Times. I guess asking him was out of the question. How existential. (laughs) Like, you could just go down there and say, hey, why'd you do that? And he'd at least give a response, I would assume. Even if it was a lie, you know? I love the Philadelphia Times there. It's just like, it's just the Philadelphia Times being like, ah, but we can never tell what people are thinking, really. What what lives in the heart of man, truly? I don't know. It's just going to have to be some awesome 
cool, sexy mystery that uh, we are completely <laughs> incapable of discovering the answer. Aren't you guys reporters? Another mystery. Another mystery. <laughs> oh, look at this guy calling me a reporter. No reason to do that. <laughs> Another mystery. Mm. The re- <laughs> Yeah, uh, this game is the only recap I've ever read that seemed to end in mid-sentence <laughs> because, <laughs> because the writer was so disgusted. And you're going to say, well, Justin, don't you mean you just read down a column and then couldn't, you know, these older newspapers, there's tons of text in them and it's very small. Like maybe you just lost track of where the column continued elsewhere on the page or elsewhere in the edition. Uh, no, you're going to see what I mean here in a second. The crowd went wild. Its disgust was only exceeded by the closing scene of the second game, read the paper. Hewlin, but why continue? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> this, guy, this guy, like, is absolutely just, like, hitting deadline, and he's like, you know what? Everyone's gonna understand. <laughs> no, no one wants this. What I've am never I doing seen with myself? <laughs> like an article end with, Jesus Christ, fuck this. <laughs> and then just go, and then the guy but, just goes. I like I I don't I don't even think I've seen that in like on like SB Nation recaps. Like when someone's just like, God, just screw you guys. I don't want to write this recap. Like, even <laughs> even the worst games like at the end will say that people will say that. Like when I wrote recaps or you wrote recaps of the good fight, like you say that at the end, <laughs> not like, like not like in the middle of the recap where you're like, you know what, fuck you. <laughs> I don't want to write this anymore, and I don't have to. It's your fault. <laughs> That's, That's why. It. No, recap over. Goodbye. <laughs> so the Phillies lost that game 3-2, to two, giving us the general vibe heading into the second game, which is where we will spend the majority of our day here in 1896. Absolutely incredible to be like in that crowd at the beginning and being like, well, at least they can't show me a game like that again. Like, ugh. No matter how bad this next game is, it won't be like game one. <laughs> oh baby yeah <laughs> i uh mm, i'm trying to imagine a, yeah like modern fans going to a doubleheader like this that ends like this oh. <laughs> but i know what you're thinking what's the context justin what was happening in the city around the phillies cypher justin's atrocity corner <laughs> what scandals were splattered on the headlines what decorated socialites were debasing themselves in public who was banging trev oh people Frank Rizzo. <laughs> People need to know. 1896. Was he alive in 1896? I don't know. He might have been I a baby. I strongly doubt it. I don't... Uh, well... No. No, no. Of course not. Well, um, you don't know that. Okay, yeah, he was born in 1920, but his dad was probably... <laughs> Uh, this is a special telegram to the Philadelphia Times. This took place. These events took place in Atlantic City on August 17th. 2,000 people witnessed an episode of a highly sensational character on Kentucky Avenue near the beach this afternoon, which, because of the prominence of the principals, has stirred up an immense commotion in social circles of this resort. Oh. The, the attention of the crowd was first attracted by the action of a well-dressed and richly jeweled woman who rushed into the street and stopped a horse drawing a, a, a carriage in which was seated three men and demanded that one of them, her husband, get out immediately. <laughs> Someone's in the doghouse. Oh, you, you have no idea. The woman was Mrs. Harry S. Henry of Morrisville, New Jersey. What does her hirsute status have to do with anything? And the occupants of the bus were her husband and two other gentlemen. 
The bus had backed up to the Hotel Berkeley, and two ladies had alighted from it and entered the hotel when the driver was ordered to go ahead. Before he could do so, he was hailed by Mrs. Henry, who told her husband that she wished to speak to him. Instead of complying with her request, Henry ordered the driver to move on. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was then that the woman, now thoroughly infuriated, rushed to the horse's head, grabbed the bridle, and prevented further progress. Yes. So she stops the carriage, and they're arguing very animatedly. When she pulls out a dog whip, and starts going to town on this horny old man. Whoa! Just, he's she's just wailing on him with this dog whip. He, I, of I, course, I don't want to. I don't want to be crass here, but definitely making him way hornier at the time. <laughs> he responds by punching her in the jaw so hard she <laughs> falls to the ground. And oh then, my God! And this is how you know how cool this guy was. He turned and fled immediately. <laughs> he knew he messed up. <laughs> so uh, it doesn't end there. A private detective is then hired by his wife, uh, or no, a private detective who was hired, detective who was hired by his wife, who was there at the scene, grabbed him. But the husband's boys were there, and they soon wrestled him free from this one private detective. Boys is in it, friends, or boys is in children. Uh, his friends. Okay. Uh, uh, you know the squad. Okay. Uh, yeah, his but, boys. Yeah. But 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 at this point, an actual policeman shows up, and he. <laughs> hauls the husband's ass to prison. Okay, what's going on here? <laughs> he was tried that second, like they immediately had a trial. Uh, and she, the wife was there, she was going to sign her testimony he that would put him away. tried that second. <laughs> when one of his buddies begged and pleaded with her until she tragically relented and didn't <laughs> sign the testimony that would have sent him to prison. Jared, there's a there's a, a great tweet by um, the, the account Morgan, uh, Morgan Failchild, um, uh, that's uh, about a, a short boyfriend she used to have, who he would go up and like bother um, tall guys. At, oh at yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a little guy. <laughs> I'm just a little guy. I think. Oh yeah, she, it's, it's her. It's her a pin or it's their pin tweet. Uh, they say I dated a five eight guy. This is at Morgan Fieldchild. I dated a five eight guy who taught every Jack Six three bow he bro he met until they'd pull their fist back to beat him up. Whereupon my ex would go. <laughs> I'm just a little guy. No, it's also my birthday. I'm a little birthday boy. It somehow always worked. That's what I'm picturing when you talk about his friend being like, ah, oh, come on, come on. Oh, no, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so weird. Uh, but she, she decided she went to a bar afterward and spoke freely of the episode to reporters, telling them she was fully willing to let the story ventilate through the public so he would at least feel like a lot of shame. Oh, good, good call. I mean, so, okay. You know, just, wow. Definitely but, uh, seems like the kind of guy to feel shame. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's going to be fine about it. Yeah. You know, something tells me things turned out well for, for old, uh, for, <laughs> for this guy. Uh, Trev, what's the baddest you've ever wanted to get to Philadelphia? Oh, that's a good question. One time, um, some friends and I were going to see, uh, the misfits in, uh, in Philadelphia at the Electric Factory, and we had to, like, get tickets at an actual physical Ticketmaster verse in Doylestown, and no one knew how to get there at, from Doylestown, and so it was just, like, this, like, an, if you ever had, like, these are these are only things you can have as, a, like, a kid, like, an entire afternoon of trying to get to a place, like, just, oh, you know, yeah. a day that turns into, like, we're doing this one thing. I was desperate to get to the city. The show wasn't even all that good. I just really wanted to get there at that point. I was I was desperate to not be in limbo anymore yeah 
Well, one man named George Wilson was working in the mines of Colorado in 1896. Okay. When he decided Good start. To, to give up his life of choking on toxic clouds and laboring furiously in a lightless cavern and make his way to Philadelphia, a place where toxic clouds and the lack of sun has never made anyone feel anything but joy. I was going to say, so he went somewhere familiar is what you're telling me. It was the Wilson's family's promised land, Philadelphia, and they set forth to arrive there in due time, George likely relating the city's many folk legends to, his, to excite his young children along the way. <laughs> Until, of course, they reached Ohio. Uh, the headline just says, Philadelphians helped. A family discouraged by the West given aid to reach their home. Oh. George Wilson and his wife and two children called at the mayor's office today to ask aid in reaching Philadelphia, their home. Wilson has been working for two years in the mining regions of Colorado, but became discouraged and started east. His money gave out at Columbus, Ohio, and he was assisted to Pittsburgh by charity authorities there. Mayor Ford of Philadelphia satisfied himself that the man was worthy of assistance and gave him uh, gave him money enough for a bountiful breakfast. What? He then you just inter- call the mayor. Can I call the mayor if I'm stuck in like Indiana? Be like, mayor, I need help. Please Come on, help. please. I really want to get there. Come on, I'm a little guy. I'm a little guy. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. So weird. Uh, yeah. Uh, he then, uh, the mayor then interested himself to see that the Department of Charities provided the necessary transportation for this guy and his family. Yeah, so you can just want to go to Philadelphia, contact the mayor, and the, the mayor deems you, what was the phrase? Worthy, worthy. of assistance. Um, <laughs> Literally this, this, deeming you worthy. This definitely means just, yeah, like, what? Uh, God only knows what that, yes, if you fall into the mayor's definition of worthy of assistance, then, uh, yeah, you get to come to Philadelphia. Better hope the mayor likes you. <laughs> Better hope the mayor doesn't have any hang-ups or prejudices or general dislikes. Not the mayor. Human A politician? Nah. In Philadelphia? Racist? Corrupt? No way. Well, Trev, you hear about this cat that almost started a riot? <laughs> another another wonderful addition to the dirty ending family i can't wait <laughs> so this policeman is walking by a store again this is all uh, august 17th 1896 so this policeman's walking by a store and there's a cat sitting out front uh, and he's like oh what a cool cat so he pets the cat and he takes a, a, a liking to this cat so he's like you know what you are my cat now so he picks this cat up and cool. he takes it never assuming that it belonged to the people whose store he took it from, which, of course, it did. So a kid runs out of the store, chases down the cop, and is like, hey, man, that's my cat. And the cop is like, shut up. And they get into an argument. (laughs) What? And naturally, the cop starts beating the hell out of him. And so the shop owner runs out to defend the kid, and the cop starts beating the hell out of him instead to the point that he almost died. By this point... By this point, this guy really liked this cat. By this point, a crowd had gathered, and they followed this policeman to the steps of a bank and severely beat him until a- another police officer showed up. What do you think happened? What do you think happened? To Did he point? get severely beaten? Another police officer showed up and arrested the cop. Okay, what? No! That doesn't make any sense. Just, uh, uh, what an insane, like, abrupt chaos moment. Wow. One minute a cat is sitting outside a store, just, like, bathing and meowing at strangers. The next, there's a full-scale riot, and, like, a policeman is arresting another policeman. Well, that's just what happens when you, like, see a cat that you want, and you just go, that cat's mine now. That's my cat. I think that's just my cat. Yep. (laughs) I see a cat. It's my cat. (laughs) Gotta go. Uh... I saw it. It's mine. That's how cats go. 
That's how that works. Yeah. Very, uh, very insane graduation of events there. Uh, so, Trevor, yeah. we're both married, you and I, as a heartbreaking reminder, that is, to our many, many love-struck listeners. Yeah, we were and- supposed to. Our agent told us not to say that because they, they, they tune out when they know they can't have us. Yeah, we're they know we're unattainable. Yeah, yeah that's true. Sorry, uh, but, ladies. <laughs> but I'd like to read for you a lengthy list of wedding superstitions to be followed and things to be avoided to gain happiness before, during, and after your wedding from oh, 1896. Great. And we can use this again. This is from 1896, and we can use this as a barometer to see our how successful our unions will wind up being. Uh, again, this list appeared in the Philadelphia Times the day the Phillies twice took a pounding at the hands of the Orioles. Uh, here we go. This is this is entitled "Some Rules to Be Followed and Things to Be Avoided to Gain Happiness." Ah, good. Never wear an emerald for an engagement ring. Ah. If you do, you will die an old maid. Wait, you will what? You will die. So, an old so, maid. so your the engagement's gonna fall apart then if you. Not only saying? will that engagement fall apart, but all future engagements. You, as yeah, well. you will. You're done. You're that's Ouch. it. You're gone. I don't know what an emerald has to do with that, but it's the first one on the list, so it's got to be. It's the just one they tacky in 1896. Like we didn't know anything about. Um, we didn't know anything about uh, conflict diamonds at that point. To allow another girl to wear your engagement ring not only signifies that you are extremely foolish, but also means that you will lose the one you love best and who has promised to lead you to the altar. Jeez, all these superstitions are just, your man will leave you. Oh, oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, the rustic lover who sees a snake when on his way to propose to his sweetheart <laughs> should turn back and propose some other time. For let him know that a snake is an omen of ill import. I was hoping they were going to say, should in fact propose to the snake instead and <laughs> enjoy imagine- marital bliss crawling on his belly for the rest of his days. Could you imagine if you just like you were going to propose and, and, and your 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 girlfriend knew that and you were just like, sorry, baby, I saw a snake. And she's like, oh, well, I yeah, don't do it now. You did the right Jesus. thing. Jesus. Thank you. God. No bridal couple couple should ever once venture from land. Stay on terra firma for at least a week. You will not regret it. You won't mm. regret it, Trev. Solid land. You got I mean, I do shit? love solid land. It doesn't, it doesn't shift <laughs> under my feet. Patting I can't the surface, drown in it. Patting the surface of the earth. Going, oh, yeah, you can fit one, two bridal couples on this baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> no bride should accept any of the pets of her friends as gifts if she would not have their consequent ill luck. Does that as your, is, is the, as is your wedding luck, is did the your luck, friends show up with their own pets <laughs> to give you as gifts? Was that very common for you? I'm wondering. Was, I'm wondering. If not the Ill, I'm wondering if the ill it was common for you. A lot of people offered. No, it was uh, not. Yeah. Okay. No. Common. No. Not for me either. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just like it's funny to think about the ill like the ill luck there. Is the ill luck that you now have a dog? Like, is it just like, oh, what bad luck? Now I have to take care of this cat. <laughs> Damn it. Ah, and I'm wearing, and the cat's wearing an emerald ring. Oh no! And it has a snake that's playing. With. I looked, I looked over there, and there was a snake. Oh, oh that I, dog's a sailor. I think that counts too. I think I have to propose to the cat now. <laughs> oh, oh, I hate these rules. Let me throw, let me throw another one your way. I can't wait for a young girl to sit on the table in the presence of young men. It may be taken as a sure shot, sure sign that she wants to get married. That one I feel that's, what? <laughs> that's not a superstition. That's just that's just interpreting behavior. 
Yeah, that's like feeling social. Well, you have to get married. Guess what? You're hitched. <laughs> oh, sitting on a table, eh? I'd say she's ready for marriage. <laughs> I mean, this you, list. This what list do I goes, do? <laughs> this list goes on. You, you're not supposed to get married in a church near an open grave. Which, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I think the, that... the wedding. If the wedding ring gets dropped during the ceremony, the bride may as well wish herself unborn. She will always, oh my god! She will always have evil luck. Uh, you don't want to find a spider on your wedding dress. Uh, a, a bride should bake her own wedding cake. You should kiss the bride right after the ceremony, uh, but before the newly made husband has had a chance to do so. And you will have excellent luck if hmm. you put your mouth on the bride's mouth before the groom does. What? Totally appropriate wedding behavior, by the way. Should a bride perchance see a coffin? While being driven to the railroad station. <laughs> she should wish herself unborn. <laughs> uh, this is, I think, going to the train station to go on their honeymoon. Uh, she should order the driver to turn back and start over again. Uh, driver, you have to start over. Um, we have to go back to my house and then back to the train station. I saw a coffin. All right. A coffin discount. That uh, makes total sense to me. Yeah. Uh, my other job is driving coffins around. so <laughs> We never want to be... Involved in a bridal mishap, so of course it is free of charge. Very familiar with that superstition. Do not want to be on the wrong side of it. Oh no, we are driving straight for a cliff, and I cannot stop myself. I wish myself unborn. (laughs) Uh, You can't give the bride or groom a telegram on the way to the church. Maidens eager to wed should give dishwater heated to the boiling point a wide berth. It means they will not marry for a long time. What? Uh, it is said, yeah, hot water. Uh, it is said that whoever goes to sleep first on the wedding night will die first. Uh, upon retiring, the bride should place her stockings under her pillow. That's good luck. If you can possibly avoid it, don't postpone your wedding. Uh, better be wedded on a Uh-oh. sick bed. Uh oh, Justin. Then defer the ceremony. Oh, um,. Love and hymen cure many ills. That's printed ew, in the newspaper. Ew! Love like, and that's hymen. Just, that's just in the newspaper. It's like uh, it's like it, it's the, those are the original lyrics to the uh, to the, to the married with children theme too. Uh, they just decided to like to, to change it before before it went to press. Night weddings are better than none, yet they are by no means the best. The bride whom the sunshine cannot fall upon is sure to experience troublous times. If she have children, they will die young. Oh God! And that is the last one. That's how the the list ends. It's all. It seems like it's oh, it's like a fun bit of novelty appearing in the newspaper. But everything is very grim. They're also talking to someone else. Like you know what I mean? Like they sometimes they're saying, "Hey, bride shouldn't do this," but then they're saying, "Like, well, you." And they're talking to you directly. <laughs> but then also, like, one or two is for the groom. Like, it's it's totally all over the place. It's pretty exciting. Like, and, and some of some of the stuff is like, oh, don't do that because you'll get bad luck. And some of it's like, don't do that because you are certain to die within seven days. It's like, it really, it's all over the map. It's pretty great. Yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, you saw a coffin? Well, just turn around and, and come back and you'll be fine. And other one's like, oh, if you um, look at hot water, your children are, they're going to die. Yeah, you're you're not li- you're certainly not likely to uh, you're certainly not likely to marry in seven hundred years. Just insane. Um, well, last bit of local culture oh, before we get oh. to, to the game, the actual Phillies game of August seventeenth, eighteen ninety six. Trev, would you say that you're in general feeling miserable? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. No hesitation. Yeah. 100%. Uh, because... I follow Philadelphia sports, and Doc Rivers is coming back next year. What am I, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I've got a, I've got some I've got some great news for you. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, I was I was opening the paper and flipping through it the other day when I saw the headline "Life Made Miserable," and I said, oh, "I gotta take a look at this." But this is not about someone's life being ruined. It's about someone's life being saved. You're kidding. Even someone, even someone who says that their hope was all gone, they had no spirits, no ambition, no pleasures. I tried many physicians. Reads the headline. But relief seemed impossible. They said such a case of this disease as mine could not be cured. They didn't seem to know anything about it. Uh, but fortunately, fortunately for you, Trev, and for Mr. O.J. Otwell, about whom this article is referring, uh, this is part of a conversation someone had with him. Do you he know lives- what? Wait, hold on. Do you know what Qatar is? No, what is it? I just looked it up. It is a buildup of mucus in the air. So it's a stuffy nose. Back of the nose, throat, or sinuses, you can get, you can experience it for months or years. So I guess this guy had a stuffy nose for years and wanted to die as a result. (laughs) That's it for me, folks. I've blown my nose for the last time. (laughs) I like how they always publish uh, everyone. If you appeared in the newspaper, if your name was mentioned, they're probably going to publish your address. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're going to do it. They don't care. which they do here, Mr. O.J. Otwill of 1537 South 13th Street, this city. <laughs> the specialist uh, cured of an awful case of Qatar. Here are his exact oh. words. Oh, how I suffered with that loathsome disease. Head all filled up, throat filled up, ear passages clogged, nose stopped up and burning like a fiery furnace, the poison dropping down, upsetting my stomach, appetite all gone, no spirits, temper soured, I got so that I hated myself because I believed I was obnoxious to my friends. Physicians and specialists oh, were all alike. Stuffed nose guy. Oh, blah. <laughs> What's this guy going to do? Blow his nose near me? I don't think so. Hey, now. Jimmy. I'm not, I'm not coming to your wedding unless I can make out with your wife's mouth first. <laughs> 1896, the best time in America. <laughs> we are friends. This is a close male friendship of this time. And dead now. <laughs> uh, so it's all all hope is lost for poor Mr. Otwell. They took my money, he says, but they left the disease with me. Finally, I went to the Munion doctors, and they cured me. Munion? What more can I say? Only God bless them. Munion's remedies available at all druggists. <laughs> mostly 25 cents a vial. Oh, so this is why this guy was saying that he would kill himself because <laughs> of Qatar. Because it's, it's an ad. Aww. I was standing on the edge of a bridge when suddenly uh, <laughs> Mr. R.J. Munion approached me with a little vial that saved my life. Well, uh, climb down from there, boy. I can see a Qatar case when I, when I, find, when I find one. Have one on the house. Ah, uh, this is 100% pure snake oil, and that's not even a cliche yet. <laughs> Ooh, oil from a snake. <laughs> <laughs> you must have squeezed him pretty hard. Sure, whatever. <laughs> Squeeze, milk, who knows? <laughs> it's not up to us to ask the secrets of medicine. <laughs> Do you know we don't even know where the human throat is? <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I, at that point, they probably had an idea. I don't think so. No? Okay, good. (laughs) 
Uh, well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about what was actually going on with the Phillies at this time in Philadelphia, uh, and what, what it was like to watch the second game of that doubleheader that was absolutely atrocious. We'll be right back after this. Well, Trev, we're back here on August 17th, 1896, watching the Phillies about to start the second game of a doubleheader. The first game, of course, lost in epically frustrating fashion when an outfielder pulled up short on a ball that seemed utterly catchable, allowing a winning run to score and the Phillies to lose. Mm, yeah, I. Uh, it's been a very long time between breaks. I think we started this podcast in uh, 1895, and now it's 2022, so... Um, I feel like it's been quite a while, but I have a vague memory of that, yes. With that bitter moment on everyone's mind, the Phillies said, I have an idea. Let's play a second game of baseball. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, that solved nothing and in fact probably made things worse. After the usual intermission, the ball players and mechanics responded to umpire Hurst's call to start to play and started the second disaster, read the game recap. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, the Phillies, <laughs> second and worst disaster. <laughs> the Phillies led in this game by a score of 13-4 to going into the seventh. The Orioles scored four runs in that inning to make it 13-8, to but the Phillies added two more, and then the O's added another. So it's 15-9 to going into the ninth. So still a comfortable enough margin. Mm -hmm. the, the Phillies didn't score, and it was the Orioles' last shot in front of their home fans. Arlie Pond was the pitcher for the Phillies, the son of Abbott Sequard Pond. Ooh, and that Ellen, legend. And Ellen Stocker Pond. Erasmus Arlington Pond stood to inherit God. the family stood to inherit the family business. Playing baseball? No. The Pond Sphingmograph Company. <laughs> what? Sphig, smig, sphigmograph. Okay, sphigmograph. you looked up what that is, I'm assuming. Which is, yes, selling medical instruments is what apparently what that means. Oh. Sphigmography. So people, yeah, really people still do that, I huh? Was, I thought it was going to be way more interesting and way more niche. but uh, Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be some, like, old machine. No, they, like, sold, medi they sold, sold, sold medical instruments. So a lot of, lot of syllables and pronunciations for what amounted to not a very exciting payoff. Uh, a skilled musician and pitcher, Pond attended the oh. University of Vermont and joined both the Glee and Banjo Clubs, according to his Sabre profile by Tom Simon. I joined, joined the Banjo Club, but then I was feeling too masculine and cool, so I joined the Glee Club. <laughs> so I joined the baseball team. <laughs> yeah, so I joined the baseball team. Pond was dropped in center because his frat brother, Bert Abbey, was the pitcher. And in 1891, the University of Vermont had its best ever season to that hey, point. Hey, all right going 19 and 6 and improved the next year to 21 and 9 when Pond was adopted into the pitching fold and he and Abby became the devastating two-headed monster of the staff. Hmm. He threw he threw a no-hitter that season over Yale. You know, Yale's famously dominant baseball squad. Yeah, Yale made best us in uh in sports and athletics, but it's nothing like the gentlemanly life. <laughs> While heading to Baltimore to attend University of Maryland's College of Physicians and Surgeons, Pond was convinced by Neil Hanlon of the Orioles to stay and hang out with his team all summer. And Pond would wind up spending four seasons with the Orioles. Oh, okay. The last game of his career would be a five-hit shutout 
of the Philadelphia Phillies in the second game of a no-hitter. But that was still two years away in 1896. Now, just as part of a fun coincidence, he was also going to pitch in an Orioles victory in the second game of a doubleheader over the Phillies. Interesting. I like that a lot. That's cool. Pitching for the Phillies in the ninth was the Pittsburgh-born Addison Courtney Gumbert. <laughs> I got it. I gotta get better with the names, guys. I Addison <laughs> Courtney Gumbert. No, you don't have to get better with the names. Is that is that how you, is that how you pronounce that Gumbert or Gumbert? Why would like, it be Gumbert? <laughs> I'm I sure it's Gumbert because I heard it come out of my mouth, and I was like, hmm, "That's not a name. That's not a that's not a serious person's name." In America, in 1896, it was pronounced Gumbert. No one, no one uh, is like proudly trumpeting their French or Quebecois well, heritage. True. That's fair enough. All right, yeah. Well, Gumbert had pitched the longest game of the 19th century in 1892. Wow. Uh, he, he'd appear in 11 games in 1896, his last season in Major League Baseball, after eight years with the Cubs, Boston Reds, Pirates, and Browns. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I said, he pitched the longest game of the 19th century. Both he and the opposing pitcher threw 20 innings that day. Oh, my God. They each. What? <laughs> Hang on. I'm just like... Sometimes you throw these stats at me, and it takes me a second for my brain to register it, because I heard 20, and I was like, that is a long game. But then it's both starting pitchers pitched all of them. Yeah. Did their arms break? 40 combined innings. I mean, again, this was his last year in professional baseball, and I assume his last year having two arms. Uh, He was much more Phillies material. Yeah. Baseball decided, in that he was a cantankerous malcontent who fought with every manager he ever had. Okay. And according to the book Major League Baseball Profiles, 1871 to 1900 by David Nemec, he never really adapted after the pitching rules changed in 1893 when the pitching distance between the mound and the plate was lengthened. So in 1886, coming up through the minors, he's on a team with his brother and threw two no-hitters and three one-hitters. So he was before... like he was dominant before they changed the rules is what you're telling me. Yes, before uh, August. Mm. He, was, he was too good. And heading into free agency, St. Louis offered him $3,000, and he was like, fuck off, I can get more on the open market. <laughs> was he correct? But instead, the team from Zanesville he was on folded. Oh, and he no. Fell to no. The, he, he fell to the Chicago White Stockings, where he pitched well and even hit seven home runs. Oh, okay. Uh, it was there that in a crucial game against the Cleveland Spiders, he wandered into the opposing locker room and heard a Spiders player say that they were getting paid $1,000 per win by a mysterious booster, confirming his manager's suspicions that there was something fishy going on in the, in the league, according to Cap Anson, the great old man of baseball by David L. Flight. But isn't that like, that's just like, that's that's not fishy. That's just getting extra money for winning, right? Yes. But when I said that... Uh, <laughs> I think maybe I meant loss. Oh, okay. I was like, I was like a booster is paying us money when we win. (laughs) This is something fishy's up. This guy's encouraging his team. He interacted with Ned Hanlon of the Orioles as well. Interestingly enough, when Hanlon was with Pittsburgh in 1890, Brad Hanlon and Gumbert was trying to negotiate a spot onto the roster. Negotiations were abruptly ended by Hanlon when Gumbert had the gall to hire a lawyer to represent him. They did not like that. <laughs> well, no, no one likes it when you hire a lawyer. But I mean, it's just like having an agent, basically. People like, hate I'm, lawyers. I'm having a rep. I'm having representation in this meeting. Deal with it. And they were like, no, and left. So he wins 23 God. games 
for the Boston Reds of the Players League instead, because this is when this is that time when players started getting a bunch of funny ideas about getting paid what they were worth and fairly, you know, on the. It's know, also when there uh, were like eight hundred leagues, like it was like the WCW years or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then he jumped in with the National League Chicago Club and won 22 games that that the next year. They offered him eighteen hundred dollars and he was like, fuck off. I can get more on the open market. (laughs) This guy's so confident, even when stuff goes wrong. I love him. I think this guy rules. I like him so much. So he served as a lights out ringer in a bunch of semi pro squads when he obviously didn't get a job. (laughs) <laughs> and he's just around Pittsburgh until the Pirates could work out a trade for him. He was traded to Br- Brooklyn after that and had a contract with a clause on it that kept him from having to play on Sundays. Oh, was he a devout man? I don't know, but he just he wanted that and he got it. And I just thought, I think I, I put him in here because, you know, we, labor negotiations are now thankfully not uh, an in vogue baseball topic, hmm. but... <laughs> You know, we're all very familiar with them, having yes. been having gone through the labor stoppage earlier this season. And I don't know, I was just very satisfying to hear because, like in all these stories, like early days of players wanting wanting fair wages and everything, it never works out for the players really. Like until it ultimately does, right? You know, systematically. But like initially, when players were like, "I got some ideas about this," ownership was like, "If you bring even a lawyer to this meeting, I won't even listen to what anybody says. I will just leave. I will get in my carriage. I don't care if my wife comes out and starts dog. I'm gonna scream. Me. I'm." <laughs> Now, one thing I forgot to, I did not mention, I, I edited it out of Atrocity Corner, is that in 1896, um, in America, drinking on Sundays was limited to hotels by law. <laughs> that is an atrocity. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm, what I'm saying is this guy went to a lot of hotels. <laughs> Gumbert was at some hotels. Uh, and he got exactly what he wanted. He's like, you know what? All right, I'll take this deal. I want this deal. I That's think cool. I can do better than that. And and you know, I, I don't want to play on Sundays anymore. So I put that in my deal, and they let him sign it. So, uh, you know, I mentioned Billy Hoolan earlier. Uh, could be Billy Holland. I'm sorry, guys. This one didn't have a. Uh, You're fine. Don't <laughs> stop apologizing. On, uh, on baseball You're, reference. You're doing uh, no. No one from 1896 is listening. This isn't like Ron Say. It's not like <laughs> someone's not going to be like, "I'm the oldest man in the world." <laughs> that was my grandpappy, and I listened to podcasts. <laughs> and my contradiction of a paradox. I love uh, Comtown. <laughs> Have you ever have you ever uh, heard of Billy Hoolan? The, the outfielders who, who I think who I've factors, heard of him. Yes, I mean I know you have because I mentioned him earlier. He's the one who came up short on the fly ball and cost them the game. But I believe in, I've heard of him one. before that too. He'd made his debut for the Phillies on May second uh, this year in 1896 when he pinch hit for Billy Hamilton. Uh, that's important. That'll come up again later. Uh, Billy Hoolan. Basically, the guy sucks. While playing in the majors, he commits 66 errors in 107 games between the Phillies and Senators. But he does play 73 games at shortstop, which at the time was the most ever played by a left-handed player at that position. And in 2006, according to Rich Westcott's books, Tales from the book, Tales from the Phillies Dugout, it still was the record. <laughs> oh, wow. Is Isn't that, that right? Because I was going to say, it's it's mostly, is it, essentially, you want a... You need a right-handed guy to play shortstop, right? Because because of the way yeah. the, the the double play ball works. Exactly, and I always forget about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's insane that that lasted into the mid-aughts. He left the bigs in 1897 and coached at Santa Clara University. He, hmm. pe- he played for some minor league clubs. <laughs> he coached at Santa Clara for one year until he 
was told, until they told him that he would get three thousand dollars. He was like, you know what? I I have a friend who taught me this move. I screw that. I can get more than the open market. <laughs> yeah, puts brings his lawyer and he goes to speak and then puts his hand on his lawyer's. Relax, I got this. Fuck off! I can get more on the open market. His lawyer is Gumbert, and he's just smiling at him. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so at one point, uh, Billy winds up detained by police in Salt Lake City for owing the team $50 in advanced expenses. But it, he's also an owner at this time, having a 50% stake in a team in Pueblo, Colorado in the early 1900s. He sued the Western League for not letting him sell his half of the team, and the town accused him of conning them out of tons of money because he promised a championship club and then fielded a roster of high schoolers and scrubs. (laughs) The local paper admitted that players came and went from the Pueblo Club so often they rarely even knew their first names. I love hucksters so much. (laughs) They told the public to support high school teams locally instead of Billy's club because they, quote, won't sell off their best men. So he finally manages to sell the team and slips out of town without a trace. Ten years (laughs) after this game, he would disappear and resurface a year later playing in Canada under the name Billy Hamilton. (gasps) Yeah, the guy he was, uh, the guy he was, taking the spot for what and the reason he got the Phillies job yeah oh he, he had a wife by the way when he disappeared what, what did <laughs> uh, she do did she find him with a dog whip as they did in the she then in those filed days? eventually for divorce uh no I think no she filed for divorce when he resurfaced citing desertion as the reason because he clearly had well, done yeah that. yeah <laughs> I think that's perfectly reasonable in 1909 he fouled a ball off his own eye and had to have it removed and i think he eventually became a sports writer in oregon according to the medford tribune where he worked god what a life he worked for about seven years and then took a job in portland with the associated press bureau there as a sports writer and general newsman a zigzagging trail he left behind him he may not have been the best husband or team owner and kind of sounds like he was a shitty guy but he was also he also hmm hmm also, was not very good at playing for the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> what what a shocker. I can't believe it. <laughs> so the inning itself. Huey Jen- Jennings leads off with a single and went to third on Jack Doyle's subsequent hit. Then the Phillies got two outs. And then, okay. as, is always, as is always the case, the worst of their day typically happens when it seems most escapable. In fact, people started walking out, assuming Philadelphia had this one in the bag. So, you know for a fact that this game did not take place in Philadelphia. Because with two outs, Jim Donnelly laced another single, scoring another run for the Orioles. And then things really started getting suspicious when Orioles catcher Wilbert Robinson smacked an RBI triple. Uh-oh. Our, our old buddy John McGraw pinch hit himself into the game. Yes! And drew, yes! <laughs> drew, drew a walk. Such a power move. I love him. I love him so much. I, he was a villain and now he's my hero. You're out! I'm in. <laughs> There's the rules. It's so, Consider yourself managed. It's so good. It's so good to like play, like cover a game so far in the past that John McGraw is a player in it, and <laughs> player manager. I, don't I think know he was ever not a manager. Oh, that's so know? good. What a what a hero. Well, I I know what you're thinking. We haven't had the playable grounder that turns into a gutting error and continues the implosion while masquerading as the possible third out. Well. 
Here it is. Joe Kelly docked a grounder to Lave Cross, who was playing shortstop for the Phillies, and he threw he launched a throw over first base that Nap Lajoie had not a prayer oh. of, of receiving. And another run came in as two other runners settled into scoring position. Keeler tweedledeed a loopy little thing over shortstop that Hulin came in to catch as the runners liked it around the bases. Who else? Who else could end this debacle but the man who had so inexplicably ended the first one? <laughs> Hulin, of course, dropped the ball. Oh, no! I couldn't... Oh! And the ball, of course, found grass. Oh, I guess what I'm saying is he made a mistake when I say he dropped the ball. And the ball hit the ground. The kind of hit that always does for the other team and never for the Phillies. Yeah, of and course. both runs came in to score. Although, in fairness, that did happen when they played the Dodgers the other night. That's true. It did. Uh, this is from the paper, the Philadelphia Times. The scene which followed Beggar's description. The crowd was dumbfounded for a moment, but it soon showed its disapproval in no unmistakable terms as the champions drove away from the grounds. They were the recipients of an ovation. The Ugh. score. Yeah. The spectators were dumb with astonishment. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. I the, I hate that so much. What a what a nightmare game for the Phillies. Like honestly, even knowing it was gonna go that way, knowing I didn't know that Hulan uh dropped the last out, or I mean didn't drop the last out, but like screwed up the last out. Like that it's just oh god. What a what a perfect storm of garbage. The loss was so epic that the Philadelphia Times published an epic poem about it. <laughs> go uh, go on. <laughs> it seems to be, it is very long. Okay. And it is very nonsensical at times. Um, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it, it its format appears to be starting with like one word and then the next line has a little bit longer word and the next one has a little bit longer word and it just goes more and more and more like that until it's it's in sentences and then the sentences each get a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer and it just goes from like one term to like a four-line paragraph by the end oh my god yeah it's that's how long it lasts so jeez thirty dollars dub well rank dumb dopey rotten Hoolin in all capital letters. Hard luck. Loosen up. Hallman. I love the language school of poetry. This is just, this is so good. <laughs> just as easy. Blue Monday. Oh, what a mess. It killed the goat. Oh, me. Oh, my. <laughs> what a nightmare. Run everything out. Robinson got five hits. Now will you be good? What? Uh, Gumbert, Gumbert gets mentioned here. Gumbert did not get a hit a couple lines down, but... Uh, yeah, it is. It just it goes on and on and on and on. This loss got to people. That's like this, I've never I've losses. never been so upset at a loss that I wrote an epic poem. I I mean, I that, just, it was like the only thing they could do. It was like their only response. We gotta write. <laughs> this is so bad. We have to write an epic poem about it. Like we're not gonna. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think we have a choice. There's no way out of this. There's no way out of it. People will be mad if we don't. Well, eventually, Ad Gumbert would move back to Pittsburgh and enter into politics, being elected sheriff and county commissioner, while also serving as the president of a hockey league. He would go on to be mentioned in a rambling old baseball man's column about an old player who died. Sometimes mm. they just let an old baseball writer yammer on 
on some back middle page topic about a player they knew from childhood dying in obscurity and it makes them reflect on life through the lost art form of sad little ruminations in one sentence. The newspaper used to be a much more wonderful place in that way. (laughs) I like, they also, this was also the time where they would, they would, they wouldn't say, oh, it was according to baseball reference. It says, according to www.baseballreference.com. Oh God. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. That's that's the uh, occurrences of April 17th, 1896. The Phillies lost both games of a doubleheader. The first game by one run. The second also by one run, but coming from, from a much, Ugh. much deeper and sadder place. Utter nightmare. I like honestly, it is it's a rough one to listen to. Not like not that it's not interesting or like fun. It's like exciting to listen to in that way. But like, God, like what, what a mess, right? Like what a what a troubling sort of like mess god kind of kind of day that makes you glad you came down to the ballpark i'm just glad i didn't experience it i might have stopped watching baseball in period i might have moved from i would have done you know what i would have done i would have done the thing that guy did uh coming from ohio but opposite and i would have called <laughs> i would have called the mayor of columbus ohio <laughs> can i come and live with you <laughs> hey can i come live with you <laughs> uh, he's like look checking for empty offices at city hall and he opens one door and it's like a bunch of people just all like like perfectly like like fine middle class like <laughs> american city dwellers and they're but they're all like in comically big nightcaps <laughs> sleeping in like Navy ship style bunks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Looks like we're all filled up. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. You got to go back to Philadelphia and be a Phillies Um, fan. Back to Philadelphia. A fate worse than death. Yeah, so hold on to your hats. Because as you know, this this loss came from a list of other similar losses. And we have three more to talk about. So these are going to get really bad. Yeah. Uh, if this one's any indication, it's going to uh, it's going to have impacted people at the time. It's probably going to impact us as well. I so especially once we know the players, right? Like that's going to make it even worse. True. Very true. So gird your loins and prepare yourselves for the next few episodes of the Dirty Inning. Uh, we're also going to have Patreon content up within the next couple of days as well. We're going to talk about a Memorial Day situation for the Phillies that ended, you guessed it, poorly. Uh, but as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and download all your favorite podcasts that are part of the Good Fight Podcast family, including Hit and Season with John Stolness, continued success with myself and Liz Rocher, and head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Season. For $5, you get access to all kinds of monthly bonus content, including Absolutely Hammered with me and Chris Jones, and movie reviews with me and Liz, and additional supplemental Dirty Inning content as well. It's too much Philly stuff, and frankly, you don't want it. But guess what? It's here, so... <laughs> I don't want to tell you. I feel like that should have been a better sell. Um, I, feel I thought like, I could. I, I thought feel I was like... going to land someone more positive, and I, I just, uh, I just didn't. I just watched. I feel like I just you don't want it. Might be not what we want to say about the Patreon. But you know what? You're the you're, you're the you're the boss there. I'll I'll just I'll I'll defer to you. Trev, I wouldn't have been able to make this podcast the most powerful and influential Philly's <laughs> Lost History podcast on the market. Oh, thank you, Justin. Sometimes, you know, you just got to dog whip people to get their attention. <laughs> That's the only way. It's true. Uh, I was also trying to, to say a positive sentiment while watching Alec Bohm um, track a foul ball he was not going to catch. Uh, so that also impacted the tone of that statement. Hey, let's end the episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on The Dirty Bye-bye. Air. Bye-bye.